0: This episode of Propaganda is sponsored by Lewis and Clark College's 35th Annual Gender Studies Symposium, which is scheduled for March 9th, 10th, and 11th in Portland, Oregon. Game On! Gender and Sexuality in Play will explore subjects ranging from queer comedy to gaming culture. Don't miss out on this exciting series of free lectures, workshops, panel discussions, and an art exhibit. Learn more at www.lclark.edu. Or click on the Gender Studies Symposium ad on the Bitch Media website. All right. See you at the symposium. This is Popaganda, the feminist response to pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Merck. Here's a question that feels obvious, but is actually rather complicated. Why is it so hard to take care of ourselves? You would think that because of some evolutionary urge, our minds and bodies would be our own top priorities. That come hell or high water or heartbreak, we would make absolutely sure that we are at least eating enough and sleeping enough to stay healthy. But we all know that's not how it works. Personally, if I'm left to my own devices, I'll stay at work until 7 p.m., never exercise, eat meals that consist of only bagels and coffee, and then stay up watching Netflix in bed until 2am until I'm literally too exhausted to function so that on weekends I collapse in a heap. That is my normal way of being. In order to be even moderately, reasonably, human-level healthy, I have to push against those bagel-and-no-sleep impulses. I have to carve out time to write and draw and think. I have to convince myself to leave the office. I have to basically trick myself into going to yoga. And it's not just me. As a society, we don't take our vacation hours. We work ourselves to the bone. We dismiss a lot of healthy habits as indulgent or selfish. The process of intentionally making time to take care of yourself has a name, of course, self-care. Actively taking care of yourself is not a new concept. But in recent years, the practice of self-care has gotten a lot of new traction and value. It's not necessarily a movement on its own, but it's a crucial part of a lot of movements, as activists and others recognize that to be fully up to the task and the hard work of changing society, you first have to be taking good care of yourself. In 2014, I saw the legendary social justice activist Angela Davis speak. Someone asked her how activism is different now than it was in the 1960s and 70s. Angela Davis said that the biggest thing she had learned from the youth of today was self-care.
1: But let me conclude in answering these questions about organizing uh, with something I often forget to say, and it's so important, and that is the significance of self-care and how that has to be incorporated in all of our efforts. And this is something new, this is something that I have learned from younger generations, because. We worked ourselves. I mean, if if someone had said, um, you know, you should do yoga, and I a not say yoga. (laughs) So so I had to learn from younger people that it is as important to take care of yourself and to do this within a collective context. Uh, So yes, this means exercising the body. This means finding a space for spiritual expression. This holistic approach to organizing is, I think, what is going to eventually move us along the trajectory that may lead to some victories.
0: There are race, gender, and class components to self-care. When we're expected, culturally, to take care of others emotionally and physically, and to be grateful for all that we have financially, taking time, energy, and resources for ourselves can feel shameful, like we don't deserve it, or we should really be spending every minute and penny on helping others. That, my friends, is a ticket to Burnout City. There are a lot of cultural forces telling women, especially, that we're not worthwhile. And that's part of why women in the United States report higher rates of stress in their lives than men, and report that they're not as good at managing stress either. People of color in the United States report higher rates of stress than white people, and there are a lot of factors for why, including the stress of racism and discrimination. And self-care is an important way to counter that undue stress, to live a healthier, longer, less anxiety-filled life. On today's show, we'll talk about the racial and gender dynamics of stress and self-care, including insights on how superheroes, yes, comic book superheroes can help us rethink anxiety. Plus, a diary of heartbreak. Stay tuned. Oh, but first, let's start the show out with a song. The musician Samus just released a new track that is all about self-care and therapy. It's called 1080p and, well, just listen to the lyrics.
2: I see things nobody sees since my bee stings turned to double D's. Feelings, a amazing, now I'm loving me I could give it up, but where's the fun in that? Gotta live it up or you will never laugh Life's a box of chocolates with a lot of options Gotta keep it rocking like a rumble pack The first letter of your first name Makes your name emerge when I search things And it hurts me, but I guarantee That without you, I'm a better me Now I see the past with some clarity Yeah, glad I took my ass to some therapy now I'm seeing the world in 1080p. <laughs> now I'm seeing my world in 1080p.
0: We're going to frame this show with a conversation with writer Yvette Dion. She's written a lot for bitch and recently published a great piece over at Ravishly about how self care is a radical and subversive act for black women specifically. So you started out your article, Yvette, with a quote from Audre Lorde, the Black feminist theorist and activist, of course, Uh, and she once wrote about how um, self-care is not self-indulgent, instead that self-care is self-preservation and also an act of political warfare. That's such a powerful line, and I'm hoping you could tell us what that quote means to you and why you think it's important.
2: I think it's especially important because Black women are often the pillars of their community, literally where we're tasked with taking care of everybody in our families, taking care of people who are not in our families, but are in our villages. And we're often given the messaging that taking care of ourselves is selfish and that putting ourselves first takes away from the community. And so when I read Audrey Lord's quote, And when I actually use it on social media and just in my everyday life, is that taking care of myself should be a priority, that there is nothing wrong with putting myself first and making sure that I am healthy because I am no good to anybody else when I am not good to myself. And how do you feel
0: like self-care is particularly a radical act and not something that's just like, oh, a
2: normal fact of life? Because ordinarily, particularly for black women, we don't have time to take care of ourselves many of us are poor many of us are working ourselves into graves early graves particularly and many of us put everybody before ourselves so standing and saying that i matter and i'm important and that taking care of myself is important is a radical act because so often we're expected to take care of everybody else that we're supposed to come last almost as if it's a familial expectation And so saying that I matter, that I come first, that what I need um, and what I want matters, I think is a radical act because it goes against everything that we've been conditioned to believe.
0: Yeah, and there's another part of that quote talking about self-care being self-preservation and survival. Um, How do you see self-care as being tied to survival?
2: Because health, particularly chronic illnesses like obesity, Um, like heart disease, like diabetes, are killing black women in droves. And so when we say that our our health matters and that we want to live as long a life as possible through self-care, it means that we're going to the doctor. It means that we're going to the gym. It means that we're eating healthier if that is what it takes to, to preserve our health. It's all about putting your health first. So whatever that looks like, whether it's making sure that you get um, annual pap smears, or making sure you have physicals just because. That is a, literally a matter of life and death in extending your life. So can you tell me, Yvette, do you remember the first time you heard
0: about the concept of self-care?
2: Yes. So I did not learn about self-care until I was in graduate school, actually, um, which is when I began identifying as a black feminist. Prior to that, um, I had been conditioned to always work to the extreme, that you're supposed to work until death, literally, um, that you shouldn't take time for yourself, that you can basically sleep when you're dead is the phrase that I've often heard. So I learned about self-care actually in a black feminist thought class when I was a graduate student. Um, And how do you practice self-care these days? Oh, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's everything from just listening to my body um, when when it's time for me to go to bed, I go to bed. Even if I have work left to do, I prioritize that. I make sure I go to the doctor. I go to the gym. I travel a lot. I unplug a lot, especially covering topics like race and feminism, where there's so much happening in the world that it it can be emotionally draining. So I take time to unplug whenever I can. Yeah, You point out in your
0: article a really important detail, which is about... Um how come like there's a lot of strength in community you know communities raise children communities we pour a lot of ourselves and our energy into communities for a reason and there's a lot of strength and power there and that's really important to respect and recognize and appreciate so how does but so how is self-care not like being selfish how is self-care actually like positive for
2: communities i actually recently watched a facebook video that featured actress jada pinkett smith Her mother and her daughter Willow Smith and she asked her how difficult is it to be a wife and a mother and to balance that out and Jada Pinkett Smith basically said something that mirrors how I feel about self-care. You cannot be good to other people if your health is declining. You cannot be good to other people if you're miserable. You cannot be good to your children if you have them, to your spouse if you have one, to your job And your career, if you are not emotionally and mentally and physically healthy. So prioritizing self-care and prioritizing health allows you to be a better member of your community. And I think that is especially important for Black women when we take on so much of of other people's loads that we make sure that we are also healthy too.
0: I'm wondering, do you feel like this is a like a generational shift? I mean, if you first started hearing the concept self-care in grad school, I feel like I didn't hear the the word self-care until after I graduated from college. Is this something different than what like our parents' generation was doing? Or is this concept always been around, but it had a different name?
2: I think it's, it's both. It's a both and question. I think that self-care is not a new tactic. Um, I think also that younger women have more options, right? Whereas my ancestors, my grandmother, uh, my great-grandmother had to work where, you know, when I was considering a career shift, my grandmother was adamantly opposed to it because she comes from a generation where you stay at a job for 20 or 30 years and then you retire and then you spend the rest of your life in retirement after having served at that one job for 20 or 30 years. So I think self-care um, has always existed maybe in different forms you know my mother has always been a person who takes an hour away from everybody a day just to soak in the bathtub and read um, so that's an act of self-care but for us we and and when I say us I mean younger women are making it a priority and not only making it a priority in our own lives but also encouraging other young women to do the same and I think that is where the shift comes in.
0: That was writer Yvette Dion. You can follow her on Twitter at FreeBlackGirl. One of my favorite people is my former new media intern, Grace Munger. She graduated from college last year and came straight to Portland to work in our office. Now she's a published queer feminist writer who also works at Planned Parenthood. So I was really sad to hear that a month ago, Grace was feeling really low. She and her girlfriend had just broken up. I know that feeling all too well. In the first month after a breakup, it can feel like nothing matters. And the world is a cruel and terrible place. And there's a cloud raining just on you. So I asked Grace to keep a one-week audio diary of heartbreak to document how she was practicing self-care or how she wasn't. Amazingly, she agreed. Here's Grace's seven day diary of heartbreak.
3: <sighs> okay, deep breaths. It has been three weeks, almost four weeks, since the person I was dating and I broke up. And I have gone through so many emotions. Since then, I've just been really sad, really vulnerable, and just struggling to make it through. Um, each day feeling some kind of wholeness. It's nighttime. Nights are hard. They've always been hard, but especially lately, nights are hard, they're lonely. and kind of just biding time until it's an appropriate time for me to actually go to bed. It is day two of me documenting my day-by-day heartbreak. Uh, Today I cried twice. I drank four cups of coffee and I had two drinks tonight so today was kind of rough uh I worked which was hard one thing I will say is that not that you asked for my advice but my advice is this When you're going through a hard time, or you're going through a heartbreak, I really suggest you have somebody, you find somebody that you can text these three words to. And those three words are, I am sad. (laughs) And they don't have to have the answers or anything really to say in response. Today is day three of these tales of heartbreak. Um, Tonight, after I got home from work, my plan was to go get some dinner and get some work done and maybe go on a run and, you know, just kind of stay busy for the night and be productive and get things done. Um, I ended up getting a slice of pizza and now I'm watching the X-Files in bed. So days don't always go as you plan. Day four, I learned yet again, there is never any good reason to text your ex. And yet I did it, and I think today was just kind of plagued with a feeling of not being good enough. And I think a part of me really just wants this person to prove me wrong, and prove that voice inside my head wrong, and tell me that I am good enough, and that I am loved, and blah, blah, blah. Um, So I think I went searching for that tonight a little bit. Um, And I didn't get it. Of course I didn't. Day five, I had a tough time getting through work today. In fact, I ended up rewarding myself uh, with chocolate and extra long bathroom breaks um, for every hour I worked. Now I just got home from babysitting, and it's late, and I'm tired, but I did it. so today is day six and i am actually really excited to record this um not because i'm in a particularly good mood or anything um but i wanted to share something with you that i found on the internet so autostraddle autostraddle autostraddle.com has a weekly series of saturday morning cartoons um drawn by various queer cartoonists um and this one it is created by cameron glavin who um draws and writes various things for autostraddle and other places um illustrated this this cartoon um about depression and she kind of personifies the depression as this tantruming toddler i'm not trying to equate depression and heartbreak because those are two very different things, but I am somebody who experiences depression and think that I am kind of experiencing that now, um, so this really did hit home for me, um, but, yeah, I wanted to read just one part, um, And like a toddler, my depression didn't have the vocabulary to communicate clearly to me what I was feeling or why I was feeling it so much. This part of me had a small, simple world where any negative imbalance had the potential to become a major crisis. This toddler monster was mad at being brushed off as naive, dumb, and irrelevant. It demanded to be felt. You know, I think... My default um, with any negative emotion is to ignore it and avoid it. I think I like to pretend that laying in bed with junk food and Netflix is me taking care of myself and, you know, a form of self-care. I think that's what they are. I think they are more an effort to numb rather than to really nurture and nourish any kind of healing within me. Um, And I think instead the healing and the self-care actually can take the form of taking responsibility and being proactive and doing the dishes and calling my mom back after missing her last five calls. Today is day seven of these tales of heartbreak and I am honestly shocked that I managed to do this for an entire week. Um, I just usually try to keep things really light, and with this, I have kind of reached a new level of <laughs> vulnerability. Um, something that I didn't really think I would feel comfortable doing, and I still don't feel totally comfortable doing it, but I did it. Today was actually pretty nice. Um, It was so sunny and so warm in Portland, and I went on a long bike ride and then a long run, and it just felt really life-giving to be out in the sunshine and see others crawl out of their nests and be outside and happy to be outside.
0: Hi, Grace. So, I just wanted to call, tell you one thing. Okay. And that thing is, you are definitely good enough. Uh-huh. And, uh, you are great and good in so many ways, and you deserve all of the love in the world.
4: <laughs> I don't know what to say. That's so nice. That's really nice to hear.
3: You're so sweet, Sarah. Thank you so much. I wish this was like, a, I mean, it's a podcast. But I wish you could see, like, how much I'm smiling right now. But, but, um, yeah, that just made my night.
0: self-care mean to you? On our Instagram and Facebook, we asked propaganda listeners to record a voice memo with one way they practice self-care. So many people sent us their ideas. Thank you all. You're all brilliant and wonderful. I chose seven listener tips to share. Here we go.
4: My name is Eden and I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. My personal method of self-care needed to be changed recently after working in a professional field for over 12 years where self-expression of personal matters was shunned upon and encouraged to be locked away, I lost touch of how to express my pain and how to be vulnerable in public. I, I know I realized that my most effective method of self-care is to be open and to allow myself to be extroverted, whether it's a conversation with a friend or a stranger or if it's communicated through creative projects. I realised the best way to take care of me was being willing to admit that I need it.
3: Hey there, my name's Danny, and I'm getting in touch all the way from London in the UK. My tried and tested self-care activity is to do something creative. I like knitting and doing cross-stitch, so whenever I'm feeling stressed or anxious, I love to start a new craft activity or to pick up something I'm already working on. The process of making something myself feels really good and having busy hands means I can't check my phone or my emails for a bit, which is great. Plus, you end up with something really nice and handmade to a gift to a friend. Hi, my name is Lauren, I'm from New York and one thing I do
2: to practice self-care on a nearly daily basis is I try to read a lot of quotes or other just small little bits of wisdom
3: from different people that I admire or respect. And it's just a reminder that there are a lot of good and worthy things in the world on those days when I'm feeling incredibly stressed out or overwhelmed.
4: Hi, my name is Michelle and I live in Portland. So one way I like to incorporate self-care into my life is by indulging in a long hot bath after a hard day at work. I like to soak these lavender-scented tea bags made for baths, and I'll have a snack on the side, probably Doritos, and I'll drink a margarita or a beer, and I'll watch a couple YouTube videos or maybe a podcast. And at the end of that, I feel pretty incredible.
2: Hello, my name is Jill, and I'm from Peterborough, Canada. One of my favorite self- Uh, Care tips is usually I like to run a really hot bath, um, put some essential oils or a bath bomb in there, um, turn off the lights, light some candles, and just relax and listen to some meditative music. Maybe cry. It's, It's nice though, it feels good after.
3: Hey Bitch Media, Brittany Fitzgerald here. Um, self-care for me if I could only get one or two things a day that make me feel better first thing in the morning before anything else a mug of hot lemon water and at least two Nalgene water bottles full of ginger lemon water helps me feel a little bit healthier and a little bit of a cleanse and I also a dash of dancing at least once a day.
2: Hi, bitch media. My name is Carla Bergman and I live in the Pacific Northwest, also known as Vancouver Canada, on Coast Salish territories, where I am a mom, a writer, an organizer, and an activist who also has a chronic illness. I do my self-care daily, uh, my self-care practice daily, which is to lay on the floor, put on an album, and listen to it. Some days I hum along, some days I stretch, but mostly I just lay there and listen to it and take some space and time and feel the music through my body.
0: That was Eden, Danny, Lauren, Michelle, Jill, Brittany, and Carla. Thank you so much to everyone who called in with their self-care tips. This episode of Papaganda is sponsored by Lewis and Clark College's 35th Annual Gender Studies Symposium, which is scheduled for March 9th, 10th, and 11th in Portland, Oregon. Game On! Gender and Sexuality in Play will explore subjects ranging from queer comedy to gaming culture. Don't miss out on this exciting series of free lectures, workshops, panel discussions, and an art exhibit. Learn more at www.lclark.edu or click on the Gender Studies Symposium ad on the Bitch Media website. Alright, see you at the symposium! At first glance, you might not think superheroes have a lot to do with sadness. After all, superheroes like Wonder Woman and She-Hulk are usually stronger and bigger and more resilient than us mere mortals. But as writer-comedian and former therapist Emily V. Gordon points out, superheroes are usually made more heroic because they have some sort of weakness. Emily's book, Super You, Released Your Inner Superhero, came out from Seal Press last fall. It's a self-help sort of book that revolves around the idea of using superheroes to help us become better, healthier versions of ourselves. You might also know Emily from the very popular podcast, Indoor Kids, which she co-hosts with her husband, Kumail Nanjiani.
4: So Emily, welcome to
0: the show. Thanks so much for making time.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Um, so your book, Super You, is all about how superheroes relate to self-care. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, the gist of your book is is pointing out how superheroes don't start from glorious beginnings Instead, the superheroes, which we tend to think of as like perfect idols, are deeply flawed. And that's part of what's good about them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think I had kind of wanted to write a some sort of a self-help book for a while. But I think what always bugged me about it is the idea that self-help to me, because I'm kind of a rebellious, uh, <laughs> a rebellious girl who doesn't like to be told what to do. To me, when I heard self help, I always thought, "Well, okay, well that means I'm not good enough." Okay, well, well, screw that. I hate that. So I started kind of trying to think of self help, self help in a way of like accepting yourself where you are, accepting who you are, but then also realizing that all of us can always make improvements. All of us can always be upgrading ourselves. Um, and that's kind of one of the many ways that I started thinking about superheroes as a good uh, a good place to start this book, and a good framework for
0: the book. So let's talk about some superheroes and see, it's so funny because our cultural conception of superheroes is that they're strong, that they're invincible, um, that you know they're superhumans, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as you point out like, they all have flaws. So let's just walk through some, some of them that you mentioned in your book. Um, Let's start with Catwoman. So tell us about Catwoman's flaws and how they help her uh, as a person and as a, as a crime fighter.
4: Well, I think Catwoman, uh, she's kind of uh, a little secretive. She's a little uh, not trusting of people. She is a thief. I mean, (laughs) it's her, her basics uh, are that she is a thief. That's what she does. But uh, she kind of uses those, those flaws And finds a way to kind of reimagine them and create this other version of herself, which I always uh, had a lot of respect for. And also she looks she looks really cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do love her outfit, Uh, though. The the Halle Berry movie, I don't know, took it a little too far, in my opinion.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I did not. I did not watch that movie, I'll be honest.
0: (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about uh, probably the most famous female superhero, Wonder Woman, who is obviously an Amazon. She's got her lasso of truth. But what are Wonder Woman's flaws and how does that help her?
4: Well, they always say that Wonder Woman's biggest weakness is her compassion uh, for others. Um, And what I love about it, and the basics are, there are several Wonder Woman uh, origin stories, but the the kind of basic one, uh, a man named Steve crashes his plane on uh, the island where she is. She finds him, nurses him back to health, and then goes with him back to where he's from, which is America, of course, um, to help kind of fight crime there. And she goes back with him because she's in love with him, but then when she gets to earth, she's like, well, I guess she's always, yeah, when she gets to America, she's like, well, okay, this place is screwed up. I kind of need to stay and and help out. So her compassion for Steve and her love for Steve is what got her out of the, like, away from the Amazonian tribe and kind of got her um, with us. But it's her compassion for people that became her biggest strength and and got her to start fighting crime. And I, I really love that because I do think, especially for women, our compassion and our sensitivity for those of us that have it and those of us who, you know, have like, emotions and are very expressive with their emotions is seen as a negative, but it's not a negative. Um, and I like that Wonder Woman, even back then, was kind of reframing it and and using it in a different way. Right.
0: So some people say that compassion is her biggest weakness, but actually it's a real strength of her character and it's a way that she becomes a superhero is is through compassion.
4: Absolutely. Now, we don't need to talk about her her wristlets that when... When a man binds her wristlets together, she loses all of her powers. That's Let's not even worry about that. <laughs> we don't even need to talk about it. Uh...
0: So so you couldn't find a silver lining in that flaw? <laughs>
4: that was a tough one. I was like, I, what even does that mean? So I was like, oh, let's uh, not address that one so much. <laughs>
0: you know, my favorite thing about Wonder Woman is that her primary weapon is a lasso of truth. That like to get out of trouble <laughs> to fight danger, you don't need a gun. You don't need violence. You just need brutal honesty.
4: Yeah, it's kind of great. It's a little Doctor Who-ish. Obviously, Doctor Who came way later of like, no, you don't actually need violence. You can just use like your brains and you can use what you've got around you and you can get out of any jam and kind of solve anything. It's really cool. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So talk to me a little bit more about how reading comics made you feel more okay with weakness and difference and being screwed up sometimes.
4: I think it's interesting. I uh I haven't always been a huge, huge comic book fan. I run a stand-up comedy show in a comic book store and I have for five years now. So that was my first uh I've kind of I've been a nerd my whole life. Uh but being in a comic book store constantly for five years. Has been a really interesting, uh, a really interesting experience because I realized, like, oh, these are all we're all somehow. There's something that's attracted all of us to this place, and what is it? What's why are we all here? I'm really interested in like crowd dynamics and why like a group of people gather for anything whatsoever. Um, and I do feel like comic books. I think that people who read comic books, it's like these secretive stories. It's it's stories that you can tell yourself. It's a, a story that you can tell yourself that maybe doesn't have the best. Uh, most positive beginning, but it's people kind of making the best with what they've been dealt, the hand they've been dealt. Batman's the kind of the best example of that to me. Like he watched his parents be murdered in front of him. If he ended up, you know, being an alcoholic who was homeless and couldn't find a job and couldn't get his shit together because he saw this traumatic thing, you'd be like, well, yeah, that totally makes sense. But he kind of made this choice to to rise above that.
0: Yeah, so some of your interest in this and some of your way that you got started on this book is actually through your work as a therapist. And yeah, yeah, you write in Super You, your book, um, that you used to work as a therapist at a facility for young men who were removed from their homes because of behavioral problems. Yes. And can you talk about how working at that facility and having this and and the boys that you worked with, their thoughts on comics helped lead you toward this idea that actually superheroes' um, strengths are their weaknesses?
4: The boys would kind of stay there for a year at a time. So I had these guys for longer than like, you know, just a couple of weeks. So we really kind of got to explore a lot of different things. And um, one day I just had them uh, make, do a thing where I was like, okay, draw yourself as a superhero. Nothing else, no other instruction, just draw yourself as a superhero. And they all loved that. And they had all these crazy weapons and all this insane armor. Um, And we'd already been talking about obviously a lot of therapeutic stuff, but... With young boys, you often kind of have to slip it in the back door. So I was like, okay, well, all this stuff, all the equipment that you've drawn on your superhero, tell me what it represents as far as like your emotional well-being and the tools that you're learning while you're here. And it, I suddenly got them to talk about coping skills and talk about their strengths and even talk about some of their weaknesses in a way that they would not have been able to verbalize to me uh, if I just said, hey, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? Um, because it kind of was tricking them of like, hey, it's not just that you're like, a a person that doesn't have all the parts you need or a person who's got this problem and this problem. You're like this superhero and you've got this tricked out suit and as much as you can objectively just lay it out and talk about what's going on on your superhero suit and how that relates to you, I got them to open up uh, about themselves in ways that they kind of hadn't before.
0: Okay, so let's get deep. So if you were a superhero, (laughs) um, what would your strengths be and what would your weaknesses be?
4: Well, okay, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I think that the, the superhero version of me is very, very good at kind of reading other people's emotional states, uh, and can, uh, it is something that, you know, I, it's both what attracted me to becoming a therapist and what kind of I learned as a therapist. So I think that I can always tell when a couple has just been fighting. Um, I can always tell when someone has been crying fairly recently. I can usually tell when I'm walking into a room where something tense is happening. I'm not saying these are the most magical skills, but I, uh, I'm just highly attuned, uh, to kind of the reading a room. Um, weaknesses, what are my superhero weaknesses? I'm always trying to work on some of them. I think for now, I'm really bad at getting out of conversations. Um, (laughs) Like really, really bad. Like if I start talking to a stranger at a party, we'll end up talking about how many grandparents we have left. And, you know, we'll we'll get way deeper than is necessary just because I don't know how to like gracefully exit uh, a conversation. And I'm also still, I I think I'm, when I am not feeling well or when I'm in any t- kind of physically vulnerable in any way, I tend to lie about it and pretend that I'm doing fine, um, much to my detriment. And I've gotten way better at that over the years. But I think that's still something that my superhero is, is a weakness that I could probably work on. For some reason, I think somehow I'm going to, people are going to think less of me if they think that I'm physically vulnerable. It's such a weird, it's an odd thing. Um, but it's I'm, that's what I'm still working on, I would say, my, my superhero is still working on.
0: It sounds like your kryptonite is awkward silences.
4: Oh, my goodness. I'll fill them. I'll fill them with anything. <laughs> Whether or not it's a good idea or not, I will just talk. I will fill any silence. It's great. <laughs> so one thing that I
0: think is interesting about the world of superheroes is is the gendered nature of, of powers. How in a lot of comic books, uh, female superheroes are more likely to have more passive powers, such as invisibility, such as mind reading. Um, whereas male superheroes, as, at least traditionally have more action oriented powers, you know, the ability to laser vision, somebody, the ability, um, to get super big and crush somebody. Um, how does that thinking play into your ideas about how superheroes can teach us about self-care?
4: Um, that's very interesting. I actually had, that's a question I've never actually been asked before, but I think, uh, I, that's actually quite interesting. I think that they, it, it, it definitely plays into it. I feel like when we're thinking about ourselves, at least so far, the people that I talked to for the book and the, t- the people I've talked to since the book, I kind of feel like the biggest issue I've run into is that women tend to not, they don't tend to see what their strengths are or they tend to like, if I bring up like, well, you have this strength, they'll go, oh no, I mean, that's not anything. So it's interesting that like a female superhero's powers are considered kind of a uh, Somewhat lesser, somewhat smaller, somewhat less tangible, perhaps. Uh, And also, the women that I talk to often, even if they're intangible, think that those are those are not their strengths whatsoever, and that they aren't really able to find any, or that they're embarrassed to kind of talk about them. Whereas often the men I talk to are immediately like, "Well, I can bench press. I can jump up and touch the ceiling over there." Like they have like an immediate list ready to go. So I think you're right that it does kind of carry over in that women aren't even acknowledging those kind of uh, intangible superpowers that they may have as much as they could be, and often don't realize that what they have, like the, I think to me, a superpower of uh, being able to make people feel comfortable, I think that's like a crazy superpower that not a lot of people have, um, and yet the women I meet, or the people I meet in general that have that superpower don't think that it's, it's important or useful or even a thing, um, and I think a big part of it then is redefining what we consider superpowers to be and what we consider... Our weaknesses to be also.
0: Yeah, that type of emotional care and emotional work that it takes to make someone feel comfortable and welcome um, and okay with being vulnerable is definitely a superpower that I yeah, personally it's value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to ask you one more question. And it's, sure. I hope we could close on this quote from your book. Um, it's from your introduction to the book that says, We're here on this earth to progress. It's not that you need to change to be good enough. We are already good enough. It's about making the choice to be different if you want to. Can you just talk a little bit more about that quote?
4: I think uh, for me, as I said before, I definitely had a bit of a chip on my shoulder for a while. I kind of was pretty unhappy with myself for long stretches. And I also was quite resentful that anybody would even want me to change and that me acknowledging that I needed to improve on anything was me acknowledging uh, the world's view of myself. And so I think for me, I I wanted to make it very clear with my book that like, I'm not saying that we all need to get better. I'm not saying that everybody's constantly got to be striving to be better, 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 because that sets up something incredibly stressful um, and often unattainable and and just kind of lame. You don't want to think that you're not as good as you could be and that you're not good enough. Uh, So I think the main thing I always wanted to drive home is that even though it's a self-improvement guide, you're good enough. You're absolutely good enough where you are. You're making it. You're surviving where you are, and that's a feat in itself. This is just for if you want to kind of add an extra layer because whatever you're doing, the days are going by either way. So you can have days, weeks, months at a time where you're just kind of going, you know, getting through, doing whatever you can to kind of get through the day and kind of staying where you are. But also if you choose, you can choose to kind of work on yourself however you choose to. And I just, if you want to like strive for something more, here's where you are and here's where you could be. Let's figure out how we can get there.
0: That was writer and comedian and podcast host Emily V. Gordon. Her book, Super You, Released Your Inner Superhero, is now out from Seal Press. After listening to this show, I hope we all think more seriously about taking care of ourselves and making time to do it. I want to say huge thanks to everyone who called in with their self-care tips for this show. I also want to say thanks to everyone who has taken the time over the past few months to donate to Bitch and to mention the podcast in their order comments. It makes my day. Now, as promised, I have some listener love to share from the past few months. Danielle from the Netherlands wrote in to say that the story about Sailor Moon on the recent Nostalgia TV episode made a big impact on her. She said... It was so touching that it made me cry in my university's library. Don't worry, the podcast doesn't usually bring me sadness, but embarrasses me in other ways. Walking around laughing while listening to your podcast resulted in some strange looks from people on the street. That is so wonderful, Danielle. Carly from Nevada wrote in to say, I spent last semester studying in London and passed many a long bus ride to class, listening to Popaganda. I fell in love with the podcast, especially because it was nice to hear other American accents while I was abroad." I wish I was studying abroad in London. (laughs) Carly, but that's wonderful. And Emily from North Dakota wrote, I feel like y'all have been covering some really poignant, not seminal topics lately. Yes, another step in my ongoing campaign to rid the world of using the word seminal to mean important. If you missed that whole discussion, you can hear it on a recent episode of Back Talk and catch up on a lot of other interesting, non seminal conversations, too. Thanks so much to everyone for listening and writing in. Propaganda is produced by the team here at Bitch Media. Our jingle is by Mux and Owen Worker. Additional music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Look up their creative and minimalist sounds by going to Google and typing in sessions.blue. And the show is produced by Alex Ward at the studios of X-Ray FM, an independent radio station in Portland, Oregon. Bitch Media is entirely supported by thousands of folks like you, not some big corporation or deep-pocketed donor with a hidden agenda. If you love tuning in each week, please pitch in at bitchmedia.org. Podcast, and be sure to mention propaganda or backtalk when you donate. Thanks for listening.